Off to the right side, Jarrett, left, McFoy, backs in the eye with Bush, the tail. Second and five from the Irish 45, Bush, big hole left side 40, he's gone! The Trojans have tied the ball game up! Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of the Peristyle Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Abraham, and we have a really great show for you today. Uh, coming up in our first segment, as always, we're going to talk to the coach, Harvey Hyde, and discuss one of the uh, the reader suggestions we had for a topic. And we're also going to preview Arizona State, USC, that comes up about the middle of the football season. We have Chris Cartman in from ASUDevils.com. And finally, in our final segment, we're going to talk to USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Wyke. He'll give you an update of what's been going on at USC Summer Workouts. But first... Let's talk to the coach. Coach Hyde, how are you doing today? Well, thank you very much, Ryan. It's always great to be on uh, USCfootball.com um, because uh, we're going to talk football. So how can it get any better than that? It can't get here soon enough. The season's on the way. I hear you're on uh, you're on Catalina Island right now? I'm on Catalina Island. Uh, most people are sitting on the beach, working on their tan, reading uh, football publications. I'm sitting here in the house watching the Ohio State-Illinois game from a year ago in Columbus, where Illinois, well, I haven't seen the rest of it, but I remember Illinois upset Ohio State and then came, remember, to the Rose Bowl and played USC in the Rose Bowl last year when Ohio State went on and played the national championship game. Yeah, and then they got their, uh, their butts handed to them, if I remember correctly, by the Trojans. Yep, you're exactly right. And I'll tell you, I'm enjoying watching the game because I'm getting ready for next year's game, and I'm trying to, I remember watching the Trojans play against Illinois and how that game went, and it's interesting for me to watch the matchup between Illinois and Ohio State a year ago, as far as because Ohio State has so many players coming back, I'm able to evaluate those players. So that's why I was watching it. You're scouting for the season, that's good, because you're going to see almost the same exact Ohio State team, like you said. Uh, but coach, before we get a little too far, I just wanted to very give a very big thank you to our sponsors over at Southern California Tickets. They always sponsor the Harvey Hyde segment of the Peristyle Podcast. If you, it's concert season coming up, so if you need concert tickets or you want to go to sporting events, take uh, your girlfriend, your wife to the theater, go to sctickets.com or give them a call at one eight hundred eight 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 seven two eight seven. You're exactly right, and I'll tell you, if you probably don't have a ticket for that Ohio State SC game, you better call Southern California Ticket Service, too. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, individual tickets are supposed to go on sale uh, July 20th, but I seriously doubt that they will have any Ohio State tickets. I think those are probably go to the you know the higher donors and, and season ticket holders, but we'll see. I don't know. Maybe they'll uh, have some of those available, but if not, definitely give uh, Southern California Tickets a call. Well, since you're a higher donor, uh, you'll probably get six of them, yeah. six or eight. <laughs> sure, that's that's me. <laughs> uh, but just wanted to uh, encourage people, if you have any questions for us, uh, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll do our best to get to your questions uh, on the air and um, 
and talk about those. We did have a, a, a rather longer question, but we thought we could use it as a topic today on the podcast. Uh, Terrian Day, I believe, is how you pronounce his name. And uh, he said he really liked the podcast, and it's one of his uh, the highlights of his week to listen to us. So that's a, that's really nice. Thank you very much, Mr. Day. But um, as far as uh, he was talking about in his questions, he wanted to know um, how Coach Carroll and the other coaches decide how the players were going to be um, you know, fill out the depth chart. Who's going to start? Who's the backup? And what's the, most of it is what is the process? Um, what are the processes that Coach Carroll goes through? Is it he listens to what his assistant coaches say, and, and this is how we're going to decide who's going to start? Is it Pete Carroll says what goes, and everyone else just kind of goes along? Or is, is it kind of a roundtable? Everyone has some input. Does Coach Carlisle, the strength coach, have any input? Things like that. Um, he was actually watching an HBO program called Hard Knocks, and I think they follow the – I haven't seen the show, but they follow the daily routine of some of the different NFL teams, and I think that kind of gave him the idea for the question. So, Coach, I guess we could uh, kind of address that a little bit, maybe even talk about when you were a coach, um, you know, what was your process of how this all went? Well, I think that the way it went with me, probably it goes the way with the USC and Coach Pete Carroll. I think everyone has input, but uh, you have your general staff meetings, first of all, where you have your entire staff together. And that's the first meeting of the day or the first meeting after practice where everyone gets together and everyone sort of throws their input in on, hey, this uh, this uh, period was terrible. We need more work on the inside drill. Uh, we didn't move through that period. We went over in one period, so I didn't get enough time for double team work. We need more one-on-one. We need more man technique. Uh, the receiver coach says, hey, tomorrow I need more time with – uh, recognizing defensive coverages and so on, and you sort of review the practice. After you re- review the practice, then you go through the personnel uh, portion of the practice. As a staff, you go through and you say, you know who really looked pretty good today, Coach, uh, is, is so-and-so, or you know who really didn't look good today at all. Uh, what's bothering them? It looks like something's really bothering them, and you tell the position coach to check on him and find out if something's wrong or so on, and then of course, every staff meeting, you have your trainer there always giving you the injury reports. At the same time, you always have your injury reports that so-and-so, this bruise, is it's okay, he'll be able to go tonight, he'll be able to go tomorrow, or I'm going to send him for an, for an MRI or, or whatever it is, but, or moving players around exactly physically, first of all, how are you? Then your academic advisor is in there, and he also has a moment to say, today so-and-so missed a class. Uh, He's going to miss practice tomorrow because he has to make up a test. So you're able to know the next day or game week exactly who's ready to play, who's going to be there, who's not going to be there, who can go 100%, who can't practice today but can watch, and and so on, and and, uh, a probable as far as on Saturday. So you do all that portion of it, and and then you go through, and then you normally break up as a staff, and the defensive staff will meet with coach Carroll and he'll go through all the personnel saying, you know, since, uh, he got hurt, let's move him over here today. Let's give this, uh, let's give this kid another look uh, at the left tackle rather than the right tackle. Let's get some film. We need more film where we can evaluate this kid. Let's do this. Let's do that. And, and they go through the defensive depth chart. They go through it all. They discuss all the players who's playing, who's not playing well, 
who got beat today, who's hurt, who's all of that portion of it. And then, of course, Coach Carlisle, the strength and conditioning coach, he asked me what he has to say. He certainly does. He has a lot to say in it because he can also report who missed workouts, who didn't miss wor- make workouts, uh, and all of that because it's important that you evaluate all of that in a player's attitude. So uh, after that, of course, uh, then he'll go with the offensive staff and he'll sit down with them and he'll go through with the offensive staff as far as their thoughts, as far as with the offensive line, defensive line, tight ends, receivers, and so on, who looked good, he didn't look good. Let's move uh, a tackle to the strong guard. Let's do this, let's do that. Let's you know do different things to, to get the right combinations in, in the tight ends and as every position. After they evaluate all that, then they put together their next day depth chart. Who's going to be playing where? Who's going to be videotaped? Uh, and, and all the different things that get ready for the next day's practice. Now, we're not talking about game planning. We're talking about fall camp. We're talking about now when you're going to camp, you're working on your techniques, you're working on your routes, you're working on your blocking skills, your pass rush skills, tackling skills, all of those different skills that are there. And then again, you always have your special teams meeting too where you decide who's going to be on special teams and why. And you never... Put your special teams together. You give everybody a chance in fall camp, but you never put a number one special teams guy on a guy that might not travel. You've got to always make up your special teams with players that you think that will be on the traveling squad. Because if you make up a traveling team or if you make up a punt team and that one position, the right guard, isn't traveling, then that puts a hole in that position on the week that you travel. So it's normally made up of one of your top players who are always going to be a part of your traveling team so you don't come up with someone who is on a special teams uh, team that isn't going to be on the road with you, like when they go to Virginia. And, and normally you don't have special teams when a guy's on a special teams at Virginia and he comes home and he's not on the team or vice versa. He's not on the team at Virginia, but he is on the team at Ohio State when they come home. So, yes, you evaluate every day. Everyone has something to say as far as their position is concerned as well as how he thought that individual might have looked in drills against him. And then Pete Carroll listens to everything, and, of course, he sees uh, mentions what he has seen, and they move on, and they put it together as a group. They do. All right. Well, that's a, that's a lot to digest, Coach. Uh, I just wanted to – we can go over a few points. Uh, a little more detail, if that's okay. Um, if people have not been down to practice, and, and Pete Carroll does encourage fans, everyone, if you want to check out practice, it's always open. There's a, usually a few dates that aren't open, but most of them, for the most part, they're always open. You can see these towers, these uh, that kind of cherry picker type, you know, retractable and uh, expandable towers, where there's camera guys up on each one of those, and they're they're filming every aspect of practice. And I didn't, you know, particularly know exactly what goes on with all that film because there's got to be a lot of tape that they have to go through. But, Coach, so every day they're just going through and, and, you know, for each position meeting that they have or offensive line or receivers or, uh, you know, defensive ends, whatever, they're looking at these these film clips, putting them all together, editing them together, and then making decisions on the personnel based on all that from, from every day in practice in fall camp. Oh, certainly they do. And, in fact... While the practice is still going on, the film from the drill before is already being edited and broken down with the way that they have said they wanted the films brought in, either broken down by 
position or broken down by team or angles and everything. So when they come in off the practice field, the video department, they have a video department that has the, the people that are editing, has everything already put together on the computer so each coach can go to his office after the meetings and everything is there ready for him to look at. It's all been edited. It's all done ready for them. And also during the season, all games are broken down while the team is on the road, except for the game that the one last game, it's all edited. It's all ready for game planning. The only thing they have to do Sunday morning is get the film from the other school they're playing as they exchange them through the emails and those are edited up for the coaches to start working up on working out on Sunday. So working at Sunday. So they have everything there. Yes, everything is done immediately so that they have the they have the top top video equipment where everything can be edited immediately and by the end of practice and by the end of their meetings they can watch practice right then. And if you're if you're down there at all, anyone goes down it's kind of like the video crew is almost like these little ants scrambling around uh, during practice. So you see them uh, lowering backpacks up and down these ropes way up into those towers. I don't know how tall those towers are, 40 feet in the air or something. And uh, they're lowering backpacks, putting tapes down, sending tapes up, and they're running off, off the field with them, I assume, going to those editing bays and getting them ready for those meetings. So, yeah, I mean, it's there's so much. I mean, I do video editing myself just on, on my computer for uscfootball.com, and we're down filming those workouts. I know it's a lot of work. So they, th- that team has to be working super hard to get, to get that stuff turned around as quickly and get, you know, it's, it's all about getting the best information you can to the coaches so they can make that decisions like you, like you were talking about. And not only is it just for the coaches to look at, it's a, you teach with it. The next time you have a team meeting or a group meeting with your position players, you go through that with each one of them. You make it available for them to use also. You teach with all the videos and all the editing that you have. You have your, your meetings either that night or you have your meetings the next morning or whenever the meeting time is with your group. You show that. You evaluate. You grade them. During each scrimmage, you grade each player so that when they come in, they have a grade on their performance during practice for that day or for that game or for that scrimmage. So, you know, all that, all that uh, videoing that you see being done is utilized in many, many different ways. And then later, it's all cut up by series. You take plays. You put like 28 pitch, and you put 30 of them or 40 of them or 50 of them in a row, and you say, now, this one was run right. This one was not run right because of this. This one was run right because of that. This one didn't work because of this against this defense and that defense. So you can teach a play against different defenses, and you might have 50 or 60 or 100 of these plays in a row of the same play against different defenses. And, and you teach that way, too, so the players see exactly what they're expected to do. Oh, great. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense, Coach. I mean, you don't even think about that, but you can put them all together from different practices, and, and you know, it's, it's a, and probably an invaluable teaching tool. Um, but what, one of the questions I think that comes up and uh, it's usually about personnel, uh, especially when you have so many talented guys in one position, like a you know, running back at USC, for example. You, the layperson just watching practice, uh, one of the things that commonly would be seen is Alan Bradford, for example, like ripping off at least one big run. 
uh, every practice and, and, you know, all week long, like leading up to a game, every practice, boom, rips off a big run, rips off a big run, rips off a big run. And he didn't see really as much playing time as some of the other guys who maybe didn't look as good in practice. But what are some of the intangibles that you can't see? I mean, so yeah, you could be up against a second string defense. They could be trying to, you know, maybe they're trying to protect against a play action or whatever. There might be, you know, different objectives of what the practice is. And all you end up seeing is this long run by Bradford. But how does something like that play into the decision-making process of who they decide, you know, gets the more reps? Well, you know, to, um, to play regularly, you've got to be a complete back. You've got to be a receiver. You've got to be blocker. You've got to be a runner. And, you know, some backs have it all and some backs don't. Some backs can't just do the short yardage. They just don't have the skills. They're looking for daylight. So, you know, you try to – the best way to play is to have two backs that you can put in the backfield that can do it all. Because then you don't have tendencies. When a certain back is in the game, people break it down, too. They say, oh, when Bradford's in the game, they're going to run this play or that play or do this because they never run this play because he doesn't have the hands. Or he can't, they don't ever run this play because he can't block the end. So what you're always looking for in your backs is you're looking for a complete back that can do it all. And, and you know, it, it, unless you find that and you rotate a lot of people without recognizing you're doing this and you scout yourself, remember, you always scout yourself, so you always know what your opponent knows about you. You, you formulate tendencies by personnel. When a certain person is in a game, there's a 50% chance or there's a 70% chance the defense says or guesses on or predicts that you're going to do this or that. Now, that also is broken down on hash marks, what hash mark you're on, what down and distance it is, and all of those different, what formation you're in, did you motion or not motion. So, you know, what you try to do is limit as much as you can, at least I did, so that they saw just one picture of the defense. So you do everything with the same players in the game. Now, that doesn't always happen because you're getting second and one. You know, that's a play action down. That's a power run down, a blast down. That's a sweep down. You know, you depending what you want to do with it. So you can put in your big fullback play action pass and try to hit a big play. So, you know, but you try to set these things up so that you know what they know about you. Now, if you've run every time that big back has come in the game and you've run a slant play two or three in a row, then it might be good on second and one to play action pass off of it because they might be gambling that that's the play that you're going to run again. So, you know, there's a lot that you, you do, and, and when you have great backs like SE has, you – you have a problem sometimes. It's a good problem, but it's a problem as far as getting the enough playing time to keep these players happy, but yet also it's difficult, too, not to have tendencies when certain players are in the game. So, you know, you've got to really be careful that you, you really know exactly what's going on. Yeah, and it, that's I guess it's a good problem to have, Coach, when you have too many running backs and too many talented guys that there's only one ball. You got to try and get it to them. And uh, we'll be definitely watching this fall to see how that rotation breaks down and how the running backs perform and how the receivers perform. 
quarterbacks, everything. We'll be watching the offense particularly, and then because I think the defense is going to be lights out. But, Coach, that's uh, unfortunately that's all the time we have for this segment. But I just wanted to thank you very much for sharing that insight, and hopefully uh, we answered the user's question. If anyone else has any questions, obviously podcast at uscfootball.com is where you can email us, and we'll do our best to answer it. Uh, I would I would encourage people out there, if there's something you want us to talk about, please just email it in, and we'll do it. Excellent. Well, Coach, I appreciate your uh, time, and enjoy the rest of your stay over there on Catalina. Okay, and thank you. Now I'm going to get back to the game. <laughs> All right, take care. And everyone else, uh, we'll be coming back after the break to talk to Chris Cartman from ASUDevils.com, previewing the Arizona State game. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. We are back with the second segment of the Peristyle Podcast. This week, we are going to preview the Arizona State Sun Devils. A lot of people pick them to finish up near the top in the Pac-10. And we are going to talk to ASUDevils.com publisher Chris Cartman in this, in this segment. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey, no problem. No problem. Just take a look, care of a little business first. Just wanted to thank our sponsor for this segment. As always, they sponsor our second segment, the Law Offices of Bart Ring. Uh, Bart's a loyal Trojan, been working with the Trojan family for over 20 years. So if you have any legal questions, problems, just give Bart a call, 818-587-9299, or check him out at bartringlaw.com on the web. And uh, getting back to you, Chris, uh, I guess when you think of Arizona State Sun Devils in 2008, everyone's going to think of... Rudy Carpenter's 31 straight starts, uh, the most in Division One college football. What, do you, what are you guys expecting at Arizona State out of Rudy this year? Well, you know, Ryan, as, you, as you're well aware, uh, Pac-10 is a quarterback conference and really always has been. And what you've seen historically is senior quarterbacks have the most success and are, are much more likely to lead their quarterbacks to lead their programs, pardon me, to uh, BCS Bowls, Rose Bowls, that type of thing. So there are certainly high expectations for Carpenter. Um, he's probably the most established quarterback returning in the Pac-10. As you mentioned, 31 straight starts. Um, as a retro freshman, actually, he led the nation in pass efficiency. He hasn't had a season to match that since, uh, but I think a lot of that is a product of uh, what's gone on around him. They've had the coaching change, I think, last year. You know, he had a lot more uh, poise. Uh, he made mistakes several times in early games, so in big interceptions, but maintained his composure. 
and was able to lead ASU back to victory. The only the only bad games for ASU really last year were USC and Texas, and I think that was just basically a product of playing against uh, opponents that had a lot more um, talent. And um, you know, so with with this year, they have all the receivers back essentially, with the exception of Rudy Burgess, and. It's it's one extra year that he has of, of, of having been in the system. You're, you're going to see ASU's offense diversify a little bit, I believe. So what you're going to have is more hot routes, more screens to receivers and running backs, things that give him uh, an easier time with his checkdowns and, and progressions. And as a result of that, I think he's going to be in good shape. He also had um, surgery in the offseason to alleviate a problem that he had with his thumb that had been bothering him through much of uh, the 2007 season. So physically and with regard to where he's at, um, you know, in this program and the players around him, I think he's poised for success. All right, yeah. And I've done a couple of the uh, terrestrial radio, if you will, um, shows that people wanted to ask me some questions about the Pac-10. And usually, you know, last year they had nine of ten quarterbacks, I believe, coming back. Uh, This year, not as many, obviously, and Rudy leads the way, of course. Um, some of the national people that I talked to were saying, yeah, yeah, just because Rudy Carpenter being the most experienced quarterback, it's got to be a down year in the Pac-10. And I, I think they overlooked the fact that you know Rudy, Rudy did play uh, injured a lot of you know a lot of his career. I think two years ago, and then last year you said with a thumb. Um, you know, it's good to hear. I, I you know I expect big things out of him, and I, you know I think from what you're saying, it's probably going to be just with the pieces around him, he's probably going to have that breakout year that people have been expecting. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, they, they, the ASU coaches kept it very vanilla last year in, in, in the first season. They just basically put in the base elements of the, of the offense. Um, you know, sometimes he held the football too long. You know, the offensive line was not very good around him. They didn't have some of the, some of the dynamic elements of the offense in place to kind of deal with the blitzing that teams were, were putting on ASU. But I think you're going to see that evolve. I think the talent receiver is excellent. And um, where he's at with his maturity level, you know, all those things combined should lead to him having a really good year. And, you know, like I said before, he's capable of it. You know, as, as, a, as a freshman, you know, he beat out those guys like Leinart and Vince Young and, and led the nation in, in pass efficiency. So he's certainly a very capable player when he's healthy and when it's a stable situation around him. And uh, obviously uh, the best friend of any quarterback is usually a great running game, the, the leading rusher from last year, Keegan Herring, is back. Um, are the people, I mean, is he going to get enough carries to, to make a run at a 1,000-yard season this year? You know, probably not. And, and, and the only reason is because of the talent that other players have at the position. When you watch uh, spring ball, you know, uh, every practice as I did, you know, through the first to the 15, um, you, what you saw was the running back position was probably the deepest and most talented, um, you know, on the team, you know, certainly maybe you can make a case for a wide receiver, but I would say those two. And at running back, you have Herring, who is, he's a home run threat guy. He's, you know, not so much of a between the tackles runner, but he's somebody who is a change of pace back, in my opinion. And, and he probably won't get, you know, enough carries to get 1,000 yards. But you have Dimitri Nance who's a bigger, bigger guy. He's gained 10 pounds. He's in the 225-pound range now. Um, he's nimble inside runner, not a punishing back um, like, like a Ryan Turing could, could be at times um, before he got hurt last year. But uh, Dimitri Nance is a, a guy who's going to get a lot of carries, 
And then you have two other guys who are, who are very capable in their own right. You have Sean Dewitty, who um, is about 235 pounds, but very fast. Uh, he was a 10.6, 10.700-meter guy out of high school. He just really hasn't had the opportunity because of the, you know, the guys ahead of him, you know, Terrain, Herring, Nance. I mean, that's the, that's the capable runner that, that, that he just really hasn't been able to supplant on the depth chart. But he had an excellent spring. He's more of the, the physical runner that, that you're going to need. And then they have a fourth guy, Jarrell Woods, who was a junior college player who really kind of was unlucky last year. Um, he had a high ankle sprain in camp, and then that lingered. And, you know, by the time he got healthy, there was just so many guys that were doing well ahead of him. But those four guys, I mean, there's just not, not going to be enough carries, I don't think, for Herring to get to, get to um, you know, 1,000 yards. But the productivity collectively at, at the position I think should be excellent um, so long as the offensive line is able to do its job in front of them. Yeah, it, it's funny the, the changes and how the, this game evolves. And if you watch the NFL and anyone that plays fantasy football out there, I know they, they, they've run into this. You know, there used to be a lot of featured backs, and now most teams are running kind of a two-back system. And it seems so in college, it's not even just two. Like, sometimes there's three or four where there's one guy that catches passes well, or, and they keep spelling guys, and they have different – you know, the more unique you are, I think, the, the more carries you can get. And it's a very similar situation at USC right now where if you have a guy like Joe McKnight that's a, you know, shiftier guy that can catch passes, or if you have a guy like – uh, Stephon Johnson or C.J. Gable, they're kind of like the every down back, but then you have bigger backs too, and they bring in different people for kind of different situations. I, I think you're seeing that a lot more in the college game. Absolutely. You have to be a very special player in college football to have the ability to be a third down back, an every down back, um, a guy who, who, who handles pass protection well, and to not break down. You know, You have to be physically durable. Um, there's just there's just so few backs that are capable of being every down backs at this level, and, and and so many times you have you know your your top tier upper echelon guys, well they're in really good programs, so they have other guys, they have other running backs as well that are that are that are quite uh, capable. So just those two things you know combined, I just don't think you're that you see you know guys getting 30 carries you know game as much anymore. I mean. The Adrian Petersons of this world are, are really few and far between. I think it's probably easier, too, when you're in a smaller program and you get that one five-star guy, and he can just be the guy. You just give him the ball every time. But even, you know, Auburn, when they had their, their run, a whole bunch of running backs, they would have two first-round draft picks in the backfield. You know, in, in Arkansas last year where you had Felix Jones, you know, as the backup, but he was also, you know, a high draft pick. So it's it's funny that that happens, but you know, I guess it's just there's a lot of talent out there, and you know they try and use these systems differently. But let's switch to the uh, defensive side of the ball a little bit. I guess probably the main guy that that Arizona State's going to have to replace Dennis Erickson's looking to to replace on defense would be Robert James. I mean, he had 106 tackles. I think he had four, even had four interceptions from his linebacker spot, uh, two and a half sacks. You know, just you know, he was he was everywhere for that defense and just played really well. What's uh, what's Erickson going to do to try and replace him this year? Yeah, that's that's actually one of the biggest question marks really heading into camp. What they what they did really in the spring, they were hoping to have one of two players step up and be that rush and uh, type of a you know weak side linebacker. They really wanted Oliver Aaron, who's a, a redshirt freshman who was a scout team defensive player of the year last year. Uh, he's a 205-pound guy, very fast, great motor. Um, either him or Ryan McFoy, who's brother of Chris McFoy, you know, the USC former USC receiver, they wanted one of those guys to be the guy to step up and replace 
um, you know, James at that position and be a similar type of player. And both of those guys can be that type of player, but they're just not nearly as polished and they just aren't on that level yet. And so what we saw happen as a result of that was uh, ASU decided to move Mike Nixon, who historically has been uh, either the backup. Uh, he's play, he can play all three positions, but he was primarily the number two guy at the mic. Um, and he, played all, he started a lot because of injuries. But they, they moved him over to the weak side, and what you had was you had Gerald Munns in the middle, you had Mike Nixon on one side, and then you had Travis Gaithel on the strong side. And, um, you know, Nixon is a different type of player. Um, he's not that, you know, speedy, you know, edge rush guy. He's more of an um, intelligent player. I mean, he, he, basically what he's able to do is as a result of his understanding of the game, he has a phenomenal understanding of the game. Now, he's not a slouch of, of an athlete by any stretch. I mean, this was a guy who played minor league baseball before coming back, um, you know, to play college football. So he's, you know, he's very talented. But he's a different type of player. But um, you know, basically those 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 three guys, um, they get it done with um, their approach to the game, their understanding of the position, and their ability to to anticipate what's going to happen. And those those things obviously are you know essential to being a good linebacker. All right, and then uh, looking in the secondary, Justin Tyron, uh, he's moved on. 16 pass breakups last year. I don't know what it was in the nation, but it was really I think it was really up there, top five or something. Looks like there's a little bit of shakeup in the secondary. Uh, what what did the spring look like with some of the new guys trying to play there? Right, the the, the main guy who's come in, and um, you know he's worked at the first team towards the end of the spring is Terrell Carr. He's a, he was a Pasadena City College last year. He actually um, led California Junior College ranks with uh, pass deflections. He's very fast. He's originally from o- Tulsa, Oklahoma. He ran an electronic 4.34 40-yard dash at the Nike camp coming out of high school. He's 5'10", 180 pounds. He's raw, but he's athletic. And if he's able to kind of put together, put it all together in terms of technique and what they're asking from, from him at the position, he's a guy who, who you could see, um, you know, bookend Omar Bolden. Omar Bolden, obviously, is probably the best, um, most talented player on the defense. He's uh, probably the best NFL prospect at the other cornerback position. Obviously he was a you know one of the top freshman defensive players and a true freshman last year in the Pac Ten. So he's solid. What they've done is they took Troy Nolan, who was a standout at strong safety last year. They moved him to free safety, um, which was a position that was vacated by Josh Barrett. And now a guy named Rodney Cox, who's um, gonna be a senior and played, you know, quite a bit actually last year as a junior, is now going to be the guy who's um, at strong safety. Uh, Rodney Cox actually had an excellent spring, and, you know, he's probably one of the names um, of guys that you didn't really know that much about, but, but look, he'll look to have a big season this year, much much like Troy Nolan did last year. All right, and then uh, last part on the defense, the defensive line. It uh, looks like just about everybody's back. I think three of the starters are back, but there's a name that uh, some Trojan fans – might be familiar with that's going to try to fight for some playing time is uh, Eugene Germany. Yeah, actually, you know, um, just within the last couple days, it looks at, it looks like Eugene Germany may not uh, be coming to ASU. Um, what happened essentially was ASU set some conditions that were above and beyond NCAA clearinghouse um, conditions, and um, you know, at this up until right now. 
uh, he still hasn't met those conditions, uh, is, is what I've been told through multiple sources close to the program. And as a result of that, his status is still uh, undetermined. He still may not be actually at ASU. Um, I think we'll know for certain on that probably here within the next couple weeks. But um, the guy who probably, the newcomer who probably will have the most impact if Germany is not around is Spencer Gassu, uh, who's a junior college player also out of Southern California. Um, you know, he's 300-pound offensive tackle, athletic. Uh, he'll, he'll hold a line. He's a guy who doesn't really get moved out. Um, obviously, the strength of the ASU defensive line is at end where you have Dexter Davis, who's one of the top, you know, two or three returning defensive ends in the conference in sacks, and just an all-around excellent player. Not, not the most athletic guy, but he just probably maximizes his potential as well as anybody that you're going to see in the conference this year. On the other side, you have Luis Vasquez, who was a junior college player who led the nation in, in sacks in his two years, um, you know, at Eastern Arizona. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's, he had a good season last year. I think he's built upon that. He's gotten bigger, stronger, faster after a year in the, in the, in the program, strength and conditioning. And, you know, he should be solid. Um, the, the other position um, uh, on, on the D-line is David Smith, who's going to be a senior uh, defensive tackle. And then you have a walk-on guy named David Bertrand, who actually was a big riser in, in spring ball. Uh, for a time, for a time, he was actually first on the depth chart at defensive tackle. Just, just a, a really big motor guy who also has a great understanding of the game, and um, you know he'll probably be on scholarship this year. But the the, the defensive end positions should be fine. The real question mark is at tackle and, and and how those guys come together. All right, Chris, giving us the breaking news. All right, we like to hear. You know, for those who don't know, Eugene Jeremy was a former. Uh, USC recruit and then end up moving on. He was at was he go to Michigan? Is that where he ended up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, two years at Michigan, and then he um, he was dismissed from the program for you know some off the field transgressions. He tested positive for marijuana. Um, I think he got a some other citation uh, by the police there. Um, he dropped back down. Was at was in in junior college at in uh, there in uh, Mount Sac. Um, he's originally from Pomona, and um, you know, he really is actually going to be eligible. Um, to, you know, as a drop-back guy, you know, he, you know, he, as long as he, you know, um, was was in good standing academically, he, he's, it's easier for him to come back up to the division one level. But the thing is, is, is ASU because of some of that, some of those past issues, they had set some standards that were above and beyond just the minimum requirements. And he still hasn't, you know, gotten there yet. So what you may see happen is you may see him uh, get a release from his letter of intent and uh, they might allow him to go elsewhere unless and until he does meet those, um, you know, requirements that they set forth for him. All right. Well, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep track of him. I, think, I know a lot of people on USCfootball.com, my site, obviously follow recruiting very heavily. And they, they kind of try to follow the careers of guys that either committed to USC and changed their mind or transferred out or whatever happened. So, uh, I'm sure people will be interested to see what happens there with Eugene. Hopefully everything works out for him all right. And then uh, one last point. I know a lot of players aren't going to be talking about a game that's happening you know, towards the middle of the season. But if you look at ASU's stretch, uh, starting on September 20th, they have Georgia at home, obviously going to be one of the top two, three, four programs in the country, playing at Cal and then at USC in a, in a four-week span. 
really brutal, tough schedule. And you said last year, you know, Rudy Carpenter, one of his worst games was against USC. Do you, I mean, is there any kind of revenge factor you think they're thinking about? And I, mean, I don't even know how you could look ahead to a game like USC when you got that kind of schedule before them. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a big game that you, you circle on your calendar before the season starts because, you know, it is USC. It's, it's you know, the, the, the dominant force um, in the Pac-10 in recent years. And, and, and you know that the road, you know, ASU's goal is a BCS Bowl game, a Rose Bowl game, and the road to that goes through USC every year, you know, until further notice. So, you know, certainly ASU has a mark on its calendar regardless of the fact that the, the schedule is tough. Um, but at the same time, like you said, you know, you can't be focused on USC when, you know, you have to play Georgia, you, have to, and you also have to play Stanford in the second week of the season, which is, you know, unusual, you know, in the Pac-10 that you would have a conference game that early before, you know, multiple tune-ups in advance of that. So, you know, ASU definitely has to focus on what's immediately ahead of it. Um, the goal, of course, is probably, you know, to be undefeated head into that Georgia game. And then regardless of that, you know, you have a good chance to um, put your best foot forward when you, when you head into that tougher part of the schedule. But like you said, it's brutal. Dennis Erickson, he said that exact quote. He said, hey, our, he said, when I agreed to take the job, I should have told Lisa Love, our, our athletic director, that I was going to look at the second year schedule as opposed to the first year schedule because, man, this is brutal. I mean, <laughs> in addition to that, they have back-to-back road games in the Pacific Northwest um, after Cal and USC. So, you know, this actually may be a more talented ASU team this year, and it could win a game or two fewer, you know, just, just, just by nature of the difficulty of the schedule. But, you know, we'll have to see how it all plays out. But, I mean, I guess the benefit, you know, USC tries to – they've always tried to schedule those those tough games, but there's a lot of benefit. There's a lot of upside where if you lose to a Georgia at home, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, it doesn't help. But you beat Georgia, then you're on the national map. And I think uh, Erickson knows that. He's been around the block a lot. So he knows there's a lot of potential for – you go 3-0 and on that Georgia-Cal-USC stretch, and you're number one in the country. So I, th- I think he realizes that. And if he can get the troops going, then obviously it's going to be – it's a big coup for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, you never know what can happen. I mean, certainly, I think with um, the ASU offense, as long as the offensive line is, is able to be, you know, decent to above average, ASU has a chance to be in every game that it plays this season. But, you know, we'll just have to see how that plays out. I think camp is going to be, you know, really telling in that respect. Yeah, we're all looking forward to fall camp coming up in a few weeks. And that's all the time we have for this segment. So Chris Cartman, ASUDevils.com. Check out his work. He covers ASU extremely well. No one does it better. Chris, thanks for joining us. Hey, Ryan, my pleasure. And uh, let's do it again sometime. Excellent. And then coming up in our last segment, stay tuned after the break. We're going to talk to USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Wojcicki about the progress of summer workouts. So stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Trojan fans have legal problems or questions only an attorney can answer? Contact the law offices of Bart Ring. Bart is a proud Trojan alum who has been taking care of the legal needs of the USC family, its alumni and fans, for over 20 years. Like the Trojans under Pete Carroll, Bart and his team achieve successful results for their clients by preparation and outworking the opposition. Call Bart at 818-587-9299 or go to bartringlaw.com to see if he can help you with your legal issues. 
Don't forget to mention the Peristyle Podcast for a free consultation. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to our final segment of this week's Peristyle Podcast. And as promised, we are joined by Dan Weike, the uscfootball.com beat writer, doing an excellent job. He's getting some props, un- unprompted props on the message board, even though I think I think your dad teased you about it, Dan, that he was the one posting that nice stuff about you. Checks are in the mail, fellas. Checks are in the mail. <laughs> so that's Thank good. I, I don't want too many props. I don't have to give you raises all the time. I don't know if we can uh, afford that, but it will be all right. Um, but Dan's doing a great job. And uh, we were down on campus yesterday. They had a 6.30 a.m conditioning workout with uh, coach Carlisle as they usually do that now they're doing five days a week so they're doing uh conditioning workouts twice a week usually the the full team version and then sometimes they'll throw afterwards and we were down there for that little throwing session so Dan just wanted to get your uh, overall thoughts on what the team looked like it looked like the offense did a little bit better yeah the offense did a lot better on Tuesday you know it was something where they, they've they've really struggled um a lot this summer especially getting the ball down the field there was something where they, they, you know, a lot of checkdowns and stuff like that. And, you know, on Tuesday for the first time, really, you know, they were able to stretch the field. You know, they found Damian Williams down the field. They found Trayvon Patterson down the field. Um, they got the ball to uh, Vidal Hazleton down the field. Patrick Turner ran some really good routes, I thought, on Tuesday and, and got open by, you know, just the superior route running ability. You know, it was something where I really, I was really impressed with with the offense. They, I think the thing that really spawned it was, um, you know, they were working actually with the offensive and defensive lines to start, and that's something that they haven't done yet. And you know, I think the pressure on the quarterback forced forced the quarterbacks to have to make quicker reads, quicker decisions, and really kind of scooted things up and, and made them, uh, you know, made them, I guess, force them into being more aggressive. And force them into to, you know reacting more and thinking less, which is something that I think had you know led to all the checkdowns and you know just not really taking chances and stuff like that. I think I think you saw that kind of go by the wayside, and and that's a good thing for this offense. They needed they needed a day like Tuesday. Yeah, a couple of things I noticed on uh, Tuesday at the workout. One was uh, Aaron Corp. I think kind of taking it to heart that he doesn't want to do the checkdowns all the time because the defense is relentless. I mean, when he gets the ball. They're just saying, check down, check down, Corp. And he looked yeah. down the field right away. And he, I think he looked at three different spots, and he must not have liked any of them because he ended up checking down. And he looked disgusted at it. But for the rest of the time, I think he, he kind of got rid of the ball and threw it downfield a little bit more. And then uh, Trayvon Patterson has, has made a couple of nice plays on deep balls and got open and, and you know kind of been that guy. He wasn't around last year, last season. You know, he'll be one of those guys with that speed to, to help him stretch the field a little bit and give them more options to throw the ball down the field. I mean, Trevon's a guy that actually I talked to after practice, and, and it just what, what, what a neat guy. I mean, he's very small. I mean, very, very small. He's one of, probably one of the smallest guys on the field, but he's relentless. He's strong. He benches over 300 pounds. I mean, it's almost like three times his body weight. I mean, he's not a big guy. And, you know, he, he really just makes plays. 
and and he's a guy he's gotten open um, in the past few weeks, but uh, until Tuesday, he hadn't really you know they hadn't found him or you know there had been a drop here or there or something like that. But I think he's going to be you know when you talk about these receivers and you talk about the different dimensions that these guys bring, he certainly has a unique dimension, and that's you know that's imperative, especially in this group. I mean, they're going to need to step up and make plays, um, you know, really without without a, a super proven quarterback, they're going to have to be the group that really helps, I think, carry this passing game. They're not, they're not going to be able to make mistakes. And, you know, when you return starters like Patrick Turner and Vidal Hazleton, and then you add in a guy like Damian Williams, and you got David Osbury, who's just a big, strong dude. I mean, there's no other way to describe him other than just a big, strong guy. And then you got a little, you got a speedy guy like Trayvon, who isn't afraid to go across the middle. He's not afraid to get hit. Likes to actually, you know, to, to, to lower his shoulder and to try to lower the boom on guys. I mean, he plays with that sort of that Napoleon complex that has made so many smaller wide receivers, you know, just so much fun to watch. He's going he's gonna to be, I think, a guy that this year is going to open some eyes. Maybe, you know, might not have the same kind of impact as, you know, Vidal Hazleton had last year, but, I, I mean, it could be similar as far as excitement goes. So, Dan, I think you've, uh, you're, you've now grown into your Southern California lifestyle. You called David Osbury a big, strong dude. So that's good. So you're definitely covering uh, Southern California, not Michigan State or Mississippi. No, they're, they're big, strong dudes, but not like Osbury. I mean, he is just enormous. No, I'm talking I, about your vernacular. Say, I'm, I'm talking about how you said I know. I, yeah. I, understand, I understand what you're talking about. I'm trying to stay focused here. <laughs> we can talk, talk about me saying dude all you want. I don't know. I, I, I used to watch Say by the Bell growing up, man. I, I know how that works. So you know, 90210, is that before your time? That might be a little before your time. No. No, of course it doesn't. I'm old enough, I'm old enough to know about 90210, so... Excellent. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I've, I've been, I've been, I was very, I was very impressed with the offense. Uh, yeah, and then, or, I'm sorry, Tuesday on Tuesday, and then also one last thing, you we did, you talked about being able to see the uh, the linemen out there playing a little bit. No pads, you can't really see what's what's going on. Um, what are you expecting for this whole, you know, the running back rotation? There's six guys, a lot of talent there. Uh, what are you kind of expecting to see just from what you've seen so far in the summer? Okay, the way I kind of see it breaking down is I see. Stefan and CJ as being kind of the clear cut, more every down kind of backs, the guys that you're, you know, they're going to use in those situations. I like, I really, obviously Joe is going to be all over the field. He's with his versatility and his explosiveness, explosiveness. He's probably the hardest guy to keep off the field for a rep. I mean, just because he's, a, he's a big player always waiting to happen. And, and, you know, you, you can't get enough of that. That's just, you know, I mean, you want that at every position, you know, I, I see Alan Bradford, in the mix, though, too. I mean, it's a little disconcerting that he's been so good in practices, you know, over the past year, where and he hasn't been able to put it together in game situations. I mean, that, that's a little like that strikes me as a little odd. But I think that he's a guy who can can come in and and be a power back. But at the same time, I mean, we saw it on Tuesday. He dropped a vicious juke move. I mean, like it had everybody like ooh and on and stuff like that. And I mean, those are athletic guys. And and, and I mean. And A.B. is no different. He's an athlete. You know, just because he's big and strong doesn't mean he isn't fast and, and he doesn't do those things, too. I mean, he, he can get up and down the field with the best of them. And I, I think he, you're going to see him a lot in short yardage situations. But I think you can also see him. He's going to be a very, very, very good back that can kind of switch switch things up a little bit and give defenses a different look. Then you got the two redshirt freshmen, Mark Tyler and Broderick Green, guys who, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to know just exactly how big of an impact they're going to make you would you would think Roger Green would be 
you know, valuable around the goal line and, and also in short situations because he's easily the biggest guy that they have in the backfield. But and, and Mark Tyler, though, I think, too, is, I mean, is an explosive runner coming off an injury. Also had a very nice run on Tuesday. I mean, it, it's it's every bit as talented as it was last year. I mean, we talked about this, you know, and this isn't a knock on Chauncey Washington or anything like that. But, we, I mean, I might feel that they might be more focused in their roles this year. I think it's more and, streamlined. And, Overall, I bet you, just because there's like six guys and it's a little more streamlined where – you don't have like a Desmond Reed and a Herschel Dennis. And I mean, guys that were kind of legacy that, you know, they, they maybe lost a little bit of a step because of injuries, but they still saw the field just because mm-hmm. of what they've done before. Yeah. And, and they had earned those carries, you know, as freshmen, as freshmen, freshmen, as freshmen and sophomores. And, and, you know, that was something that, you know, obviously that it's tough to, tough to keep a senior off the field like that. You know, I, I mean, another guy we didn't even mention is Stanley Havili, who I think, you know, has a chance really to be a, probably the best fullback in the country, you know, as a sophomore, which is remarkable. I mean, he, he can, he can, he's a gr- really good blocker, can run the ball. I mean, he averaged, I think, around six yards a carry last year when he got his touches. And, you know, he, he's a good pass catcher. I mean, they've got options. That's the one thing about those checkdowns that doesn't bother me so much is that, you know, I feel like I feel like you get the ball to a guy like Alan Bradford or, you know, Stephon Johnson or, or Joe McKnight or, or Havili in, in the open field and, you know, even though it's only a three-yard pass, it, 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 it could turn into something a lot more really quickly. I mean, that's kind of how I see that. I mean, it's going to be a versatile group. They're going to obviously be the lifeblood of the offense. Um, I don't think there's any question. But that's going to be the most important group offensively this year. All right. Well, he's Dan Wecky. He covers USC Trojans for USCFootball.com. Great, great, great beat writer. Hope you can check him out. Check out the site anytime. Dan, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ron. I'm glad. I'm glad my immense skill got you flustered at the end of that. Yeah. I appreciate that. I take <laughs> you know, it as a compliment. Definitely, it is. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening to this week's edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week with more insights and analysis on the USC Trojans. So stay tuned. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by USCFootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.